Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello, hello. We're doing something a little different with this episode and focusing our discussion on the novel Sing, Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. We're going to talk a little bit about what we thought of the novel and try to avoid spoilers for those who haven't read it yet and provide some recipes to go with it. We'll also talk about some books that are similar to Sing Unburied Sing and what to read or watch if you want to find out more information about topics covered in the book. Sing Unburied Sing is the February read for the JCPL Book Club, which meets on Monday, February 26th at 5.30 p.m. Melissa, since you lead the book club, do you want to tell us a little about the novel and why you picked it? Sure. Um, Well, I had seen a lot of discussion about it sort of in the book worlds of the internet, um, and then it won the National Book Award uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And so I was was interested in it partially because it had been getting so much acclaim, and um, I thought it would be a good a good book to tackle for February, um, partially because of um, Black History Month, but partially because it it just, I don't know, it caught my eye for this month. So the book is uh, the story of a, I think he's 13, is that right? Mm -hmm. A 13-year-old boy, and um, it's partially told from his perspective and then also from his mother's perspective, and it's loosely based around the two of them as well as his younger sister and her friend going to pick up his father from the Parchman Penitentiary after he has served time for um, drug dealing. Is that what it was for? You know, Do they, they ever never, actually talk? Yeah, they never really say what it was for, I don't think. Um but you can assume, I think. Yeah, I think we can on... assume it might have something to do with drugs. <laughs> yeah, based on some of the other references in the book that it has something to do with drugs. Yep. Yep. So it starts out and it sets the scene of the family. Um, the All of them, with the exception of Leone, is his mother's name. And with the exception of Leone's friend, they all live with Leone's parents, Um who are Jojo's grandparents. And the book opens with Jojo's birthday and sort of sets the scene for how the family interacts and works together. And then a few chapters in, after alternating chapters of perspective between Jojo and Leone, they take this road trip a few hours north to pick up her boyfriend. I think they're not actually engaged, right? Or married. They're not. I don't think so. No. Yeah. But they, they're going to pick up Jojo's father at, from prison. He's finished his time out. And the that is sort of the major event. And other things happen around that. But a lot, a lot happens around that. It's a very short amount of time. And there doesn't seem, you know, it's just one big event, one big plot event. But a lot of character development and growing for all the characters happens. Um, So it's a very vivid, I don't know. I think a lot for me of what I liked about the book was how 
how vivid all of the imagery, all of the, you know, a lot of it is told in the present tense. So it's very immediate. Mm -hmm. And I, I just keep thinking it's very vivid. Like all of the feelings about it that I had are sort of couched in that, you know, I, she really puts you into the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to feel a lot of their feelings. I don't know how to, I'm feeling very ineloquent about this, but. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I had, I think, a similar experience. Um, you know, this wasn't really a book that I um, intended to read. I was just picking books up um, off of a shelf trying to find out, trying to figure out what to read next. And it just kind of pulled me in with Jojo's voice at the beginning. Um, and I I really, Jojo's was my favorite voice. Oh, there, for sure. Um, he was just so, it was just very realistic and mm-hmm. Um, I liked how, you know, being a 13, he was, he knew things, but he was also kind of naive. And so I oh, think for sure. that sets up a, a great tension in the novel. I mean, the first, the first sentence in the novel was, um, I like to think I know what death is. I like to think that it's something I could look at straight. And of course... We find out as the novel goes on that... It's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> yes. Um, and, of course, um, there is another voice, too. There's a voice of Richie, who is um, a ghost, that Jojo's grandfather tells him stories about. And um, he actually... This the spirit Richie hitches a ride back to the town in Mississippi where they're from. Um, so there was a lot of other things going on in the book. I thought also Ma'am is very sick, Jojo's grandfather's, I mean, grandmother. So there was also that storyline. Right, but she's such a powerful presence, even though she doesn't have her own chapters. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to tell her own story. Right. She's in the background for all of the characters. Right. I love Jojo's voice the most, but mm-hmm. that I want to know her story. Yeah. That's who I'm. Her and Pop, his grandfather, like they're incredibly compelling characters and I wish we got to know more about them. Um, well, we did get to hear Pop's stories, I think, through Jojo. Yeah, we got to hear a lot more about him. But yes, he doesn't have his own, his story is not told in his own voice, in his own first person voice. Why do you think, why do you think she chose certain characters to voice over others? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a little bit as well, because it is such a deliberate choice if you're going to have multiple narrators. You can limit that or you can expand it and... The pairing of Jojo and Leone it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. They bring, you know, completely different perspectives of the same events. And I think Leone might even be the secondary main character because she, her voice seems to function as like a, this is what's actually happening. Like, this is what is going on in my life that is making me make these choices mm-hmm. that Jojo can't possibly see or understand. Um, but then she brings in the character of Richie as a voice, mm-hmm. which is also told to us by Pop. 
through his stories. Right. Um, so I don't know if I know why. <laughs> I yeah. think it really worked. Yeah. Um, but it definitely, like, you get all these different, like, people telling stories about each other. But mm-hmm. then you also get the stories that they tell about themselves. So in that way, I, I, it's it's a book of stories that, in my mind, really vivid stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what did you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I have an answer for that either. Um, I I agree with you about the, you know, there's a lot of tension between Leone and Jojo, so it definitely makes sense for those two to be paired um and i you know leone of course is a hot mess <laughs> she's got a lot going on <laughs> um but i was so um, impressed by jasmine ward's ability to show both her negatives at the same time still make her sympathetic at least a little sympathetic. at least a little i don't know how sympathetic but yeah yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the book that we read for book club last month, which is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. And that's another book that takes multiple perspectives for each chapter. Um, but she has, I think it's like eight or nine characters that give their perspective, their mm-hmm. own their own story. And it functions in a very different way because you do get a wide range of perspective about the same events. But those same characters are way more sympathetic mm-hmm. <laughs> when you get their <laughs> stories. So it was it, it is an interesting pairing that I didn't intend to make, but worked out quite nicely to, to see how those different characters can bring their stories together. Mm-hmm. And as far as Richie, he seems important as far as giving kind of the history and the memory of... Um, african-american life in the deep south um well and how young you can be and still be put in prison right because this is the real thing that Mm. happened yeah so um if you haven't read the book um richie was put in prison at the age of 12 um for for stealing food because his family was starving Um, And this is something that did happen. Parchment is the Mississippi State Penitentiary, and this is something that um, Jasmine Ward discovered when she was doing research for the book, that that is something that happened to um, to Mm African-Americans. Yeah, so I think that's probably how Richie's voice mainly functions, Mm -hmm. to bring that memory in. And it's definitely a conscious choice that she made, and she talks about it. But his voice isn't there through the whole book. Right, right. We only get it once they pick Michael up from the prison Mm -hmm. when he hitches his ride back. So because this is Books and Bites, we wanted to talk a little bit about food in the novel, Sing Unburied Sing. Um, and once I once we decided that we were going to read this book and talk about it on Books and Bites, I kind of paid attention more to the food than I would say I normally do in books. And one thing I noticed is that there's a definite contrast between the food that 
pop makes for the children and the food that Leone and Michael provide for them or don't provide for them. For sure. In the beginning of the book, Pop cooks goat meat with garlic and the holy trinity of celery, bell pepper, and onion. I read an interesting commentary by Ward on the PBS website. Um, This is also the pick for the PBS New York Times. Right. That was another reason. I was like, oh, I made a good choice. (laughs) So they had some they had some interesting um, points from the author and from other people about the book. Um, Anyway, she says that Leone, quote, understands how food is used to nurture, how denying it is used to deprive and stunt. And Leonie certainly does deny Jojo and Kayla on the way up to Parchman. They are often hungry and thirsty. Kayla often says, I eat Jojo, she's always saying. And Kayla is too, I think. So Something like that. So she's a toddler. So, um, you know, that's, of course, going to be important to any any toddler um and jojo has to steal a drink in order to and because he's thirsty and his mother won't buy him one and then when leone actually does provide food um she makes this tonic out of wild blackberries for kayla because she thinks it will help um with kayla's nausea she's been vomiting the whole way up to parchman um and jojo is so skeptical of his mother's abilities that um he thinks it's dangerous to let kayla take it but word also says that leone associates food with love which you can see in her use of butter imagery when leone talks about her mother and jojo She says of her mother, for example, that, quote, the humidity made her hair alive around her face, tendrils of it standing up and away from her buttery scalp. And then later, Richie associates food with love. Riv sees that they eat in the morning oatmeal and sausages, he says. He cuts little slivers of butter and slides them into the steaming insides of the biscuits he mixes and kneads and bakes. The butter melts and oozes out of the sides, and I would give anything to taste bread made with such care. And Riv is the grandfather's name, so it's the grandfather that he's talking about. Yeah, I didn't pick up on the butter usage. Um, so much of the the trip for me, like I, my mind is completely preoccupied by their their hunger and nausea and sickness. And the denial of food because it is so painful mm-hmm. to hear about that kind of thing that she's not doing it unintentionally, it's right? Either through neglect or or intention, and it just it was that part was actually pretty hard for me to contemplate, and that and that is you know it's such a reality for so many people, um, perhaps not intentionally. You know, mm-hmm. hunger is is a thing that that is present in all of our communities. And it's really tough when we're, there's so much abundance around us to have to confront that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that whole, the whole road trip where they're hungry and trying to steal food was really tough. Yeah, it, 
I felt like when they were on their way up to Parchment, there was this kind of low hum of tension throughout the whole the whole time where you thought something was going to happen. Yeah. And no, I was totally stressed out the whole time I was reading <laughs> during the road trip. It's mm-hmm. like, what awful thing is going to yeah. happen? And, and especially, I mean, I was especially worried about the baby because she's Definitely. sick the whole time. Yep. Yep. Um, but then, it, then the level the tension level once they pick michael the father up from parchment it just goes like skyrockets <laughs> yeah and i think part of that for me came from jojo and his level of distrust for mm-hmm. her ability to take care of them like some of that is manufactured some of it is you know her actions show that she's not great at caring for her children either by intention or not um so that, yeah, that whole road trip was really stressful. And I just wanted them to get back home <laughs> and have someone, an adult, take care of them again. Right. So that Jojo didn't have to carry that burden. Mm-hmm. Oh, so anyway, back to the food. The fact that Richie, a spirit, desires something so simple and human and something that so many of us take for granted is heartbreaking. And for that reason, I recommend pairing this novel with homemade biscuits. And because in the same passage, Richie describes watching Riv and the children picking and eating blackberries, and in honor of Leone's blackberry tonic, top them with blackberry jam. You'll need something warm and comforting to carry you through this book. My favorite biscuits are my mother's. I've had several lessons from her, but have never been able to replicate her no recipe recipe. I've had better luck with the no recipe yogurt biscuits I found on the Food 52 website, which we'll link to in our blog. Since I can't have dairy, I use plain soy yogurt to make these biscuits, which is what my mother uses in places in place of buttermilk in her biscuits. They are delicious, and no one in our family misses the actual buttermilk. We like to make our own blackberry topping. Just dump some fresh or frozen blackberries in a pan with sugar to taste. Personally, I like my blackberries pretty tart. So one of the things that I found while I was perusing a few Southern cookbooks um, in preparation for finding something to pair with Sing Unburied Sing is the recipe for a mint julep from one the first African-American bartender to publish a cocktail recipe book. Um, I'm not sure how you found the ending of Sing Unburied Sing, but it it was very, it was a lot. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I finished the last slide and had to like lean back for a minute and just think about it for a while and maybe space out a little bit and just let it roll over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably would not have been a bad idea to have a mint julep handy, <laughs> uh, even though it's definitely not a, a Mississippi drink, it's more a Kentucky drink. But this the story of this bartender really grabbed me. Um, I found the story of him in the cookbook American I Am, Pass It It Down Cookbook, which is edited by Chef Jeff Henderson. Uh, It's the 
The fellow's name is Tom Bullock. He was born in Louisville just after the end of the Civil War and ended up living and working in St. Louis as a bartender. Um, and I, I think I just never heard of this fellow. So I, I, you know, as soon as I saw this recipe in the cookbook, I went down a Google rabbit hole and um, found a scanned copy of his book, which is called The Ideal Bartender, and it's available on Project Gutenberg. The book was originally published in 1917, so it's out of copyright, and you can peruse the whole PDF. There you go. Um, yeah. So um, right in the the beginning of the book, it's, it's a really worth tracking down. We don't have a whole lot of time for me to tell you the whole story, but um, his rise to fame involves Teddy Roosevelt, a libel lawsuit, and his highly regarded mint julep. Tom was clearly an exceptional bartender. An editorial in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch described his mint julep as, quote, the liquefied soul of a southern moonbeam falling aslant the dewy slopes of the Cumberland Mountains. <laughs> Which just, that, I, I've never read a, a more beautiful description of a cocktail, and I, I needed to share it with you all. <clears throat> that is impressive. Yeah, and it, it actually seemed to fit with the novel for me, mm -hmm. like, a liquefied soul of a southern moonbeam. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, but the recipe, as you can imagine, is pretty simple. Um, just sugar, water, ice, and bourbon. Um, and you can find that recipe in his book, The Ideal Bartender, or in the American I Am cookbook in our collection, which has a lot of great recipes in it, but that one is, is featured in the, the drinks section. Well, I have to admit that immediately after reading this book, I sought out something a little lighter. <laughs> Agreed. So did I. <laughs> so it's definitely okay to pull out your favorite comfort read after this book. Maybe your cozy sci-fi novel might be a good, a good option to read after this. Yep. Um, but when you're ready to take on the tough topics again, um, I have a few suggestions if you liked Sing Unburied Sing. A lot of reviewers are comparing this book to Beloved by Toni Morrison, and I agree that the characters in Beloved feel like they could be this family's ancestors. In Beloved, Setha is an escaped slave living in post-Civil War Ohio who is haunted by the ghost of her dead baby girl. Both books are lyrical and stylistically complex, and both use magical realism to deal with unimaginable trauma. Jasmine Ward cites Faulkner's As I Lay Dying as a huge influence on her work, and you can definitely see that in the plot. Both novels are stories about families traveling across the Mississippi countryside, and both are first-person accounts told from multiple perspectives. Since Ward calls herself a failed poet, you might want to try reading Native Guard, a Pulitzer Prize-winning book of poetry that takes place on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and explores memory, race, and grief. A former U.S. poet laureate, the author, Natasha Trethewey, is the daughter of a white man and a black woman. She was born in Gulfport, Mississippi at a time when her parents' marriage was illegal. Many of the poems are about what it was like to grow up as a person of mixed race in the Deep South. 
The title poem is about a soldier in the Louisiana Native Guard, the first troop of African-American soldiers to fight for the, Un for the Union Army. Other poems grieve for her mother, who was murdered by her second ex-husband. If you'd like to find out more about the American prison system's impact on African Americans, try the book The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. The film Slavery by Another Name, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book of the same title by Douglas A. Blackman, discusses how, after the Civil War, African Americans in the South were forced into labor. That film is available on Hoopla. about the different books that I could recommend for folks that enjoyed Sing Unburied Sing, I, I went through a whole list of different authors and subjects, and one of the, the major books that I landed on um, is Citizen by Claudia Ran Rankine? Rankine? I think it's Rankine. Um, apologies if I'm wrong. But Citizen is a, it's a complicated book that defies simple description. It's a prose poem, a multimedia work of art, a presentation of facts. Through a series of vignettes, Renkine explores the effects that an accumulation of experiences can have upon a person. She provides the context for the entire book in one early vignette, which reads, quote, when you arrive in your driveway and turn off the car, you remain behind the wheel another 10 minutes. You fear the night is being locked in and coded on a cellular level and want time to function as a power wash. Sitting there staring at the closed garage door, you are reminded that a friend once told you that there exists the medical term, John Henryism, for people exposed to stresses stemming from racism. They achieve themselves to death, trying to dodge the buildup of erasure. Sherman James, the researcher who came up with the term, claimed this the physiological costs were high. You hope by sitting in silence you are bucking the trend. By, pre by presenting a series of scenes in the second person, the reader becomes a subject and is forced to bear the stories to experience even a fraction of the psychological and physiological costs of a lifetime of racism. It's a short, tough book that reads very quickly. Um, I have read it a couple of times in one sitting. And I get something new out of it every time I reread it. So if you're looking for more um, nonfiction about the topic that sort of confronts racism and the effects it can have upon a person, uh, I can highly recommend Citizen. It's not easy, but it it is very effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've read that too. That's a good choice. Um, one of the other books that I, I thought about is definitely in the on the lighter side of things but brings in a lot of the same themes and that's brown girl dreaming by jacqueline woodson um, i there's a lot about brown girl dreaming that is storytelling and crafting different perspectives about different things um woodson she she talks about it's the tale of her coming of age in and moving between Ohio, Greenville, South Carolina, and New York City. And she does it all in verse. Um, but I have to confess that I didn't actually realize it was written entirely in poetry until I picked up a hard copy of it a few weeks ago because I listened to it for the first time um, while working in my garden last summer. And um, it's 
I found the the vividness of the imagery and the immediacy very similar to Sing Unburied Sing. And once I thought about the connection between the two, it was like it doesn't seem like they're, you know, necessarily easy read-alikes, but um, in my mind, the the immediacy of the the different pictures that each author respectively paints um, was very similar. Um, and that's partially because I, I lived for a few years in South Carolina in Greenville, where Woodson grew up. Um, she illustrates her early years with vivid description and musical phrasing, bringing those locations and times into clear focus, while also exploring her own path to becoming a writer. Uh, it's it's a lovely book, and I really enjoyed the audiobook, but the hard copy was just as lovely to pick up and read mm-hmm. through again. Um, so either way, it's definitely a great book to, to read. Um, and one of the things that I kept coming back to when thinking back to listening to Brown Girl Dreaming was that Woodson often talks about the importance of gardening and the importance of food to her family in Greenville. And whenever I think back on my years in South Carolina, my mind immediately goes to the abundant and fantastic produce at farmers markets and roadside stands and to the local restaurants that made the most of the abundance. Uh, it, that was just such a big part of the culture, how great the produce and farming communities were down there. And my favorite side dish to order in South Carolina has to be cooked greens. Uh, I'm a pretty decent cook, but greens are a dish that I tend to leave to the experts. So I always make a point to order them if they're on the menu. However, if I were to try my hand at making up a pot, I would definitely follow the recipe for Janetta's mixed greens that I found in Adrian Miller's book, Soul Food. The book is mostly food and cultural history, but Miller couldn't help adding a few representative recipes for the dishes he examines. The greens recipe comes from his mother, so you know it's gotta be good. So if you enjoyed Sing Unburied Sing and you'd like to learn more about the JCPL Book Club, we meet the last Monday of every month at 5.30 p.m. in the Davis Conference Room. And for March, I've picked The Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Massey. And it's a, a mystery, a detective story about a female detective in Bombay, India in 1921. And it's gotten a lot of of great attention, so we're looking forward to discussing that in March. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We record in the recording studio at the Jesmond County Public Library. You can find out more about the library, our recording studio, and the books we talked about in this episode on our website at jesspublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whidden from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website at doorforadesk.com.